you'll remain standing, open your Bible to John chapter 8. John 8, verses 12 through 30. And I've just titled the message pretty much what I think Jesus would have titled it. Jesus is the light of the world. That's the subject of this passage and of this sermon this morning. Beginning in verse 12, listen to the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will see me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where am I going? You, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted the son, up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, God, we are thankful for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your love that we just sang about, your steadfast love that endures forever, your mercies that are new every, every morning, your love that pursues us to the highest heavens, the lowest hells, everywhere in between your love that is unfailing. We thank you for that, Lord, and that it is expressed clearly in your word, which we have need to hear and to be changed by. You know every need on every heart here and how you want to speak truth and life to it. And so we ask that you would speak, Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good. Lord, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today? Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, in our modern world, much of a, uh, many of us, most of us probably, don't have much interaction with real darkness. I don't know if you've even thought of that uh, very much at all, but we have lights in our house. We have lights on the outside of our house. We have headlights on our car. We have street lights when we're driving down the street. Most anywhere we go at night, um, it, is, it is lighted or we can make it lighted. Most of us actually have little interaction with real darkness. Uh, we've had the occasion to have that experience uh, periodically when we've gone camping. Uh, many of you know that's part of our family routine and has been for a lot of years. We uh, camp usually one time a year up in Shenandoah National Park. And, um, and it can be, it's not lighted in the National Park and it can be quite dark at night. But the first year that we went up there, we were concerned about bears, as you might imagine. Maybe you would be as well. And uh, that was one of the sort of cautions we carried with us as we went into the National Park. And so as we were getting settled in, we, we uh, asked some questions there in the camp store and asked about bears. And the, and the woman working there in the camp store said, oh, no, the bears are really not a problem at all this year. They're not going to bother you. They're not even coming up into the campground. Um, so you don't need to worry about them. This year, the problem has been the deer. The deer are actually quite aggressive. And uh, they're coming up into campsites, and, and they'll just, while people are there in the campsites, they're just walking up and eating their food. It had been a kind of a dry season, and some of the vegetation and so forth was uh, not as uh, flourishing quite as much out in the woods and that sort of thing. And they were coming up, and just with people right there in the campsite, uh, eating food right from their campsite. So uh, that, that first night, as we laid down to go to sleep in the tent, we're mindful of such things. And at some point in the middle of the night, Monica got up to go to the restroom. There was a, 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 you know, a restroom house or whatever you call it there in the center of the campground. It was probably 200 yards away or something like that. So Monica gets up and goes, um, you know, wandering into the dark. It really is is quite dark, and whether she had one of those cheap little Walmart flashlights or not, we can't remember, but uh, there would be fog descending on top of the mountain. There would be um, smoke from campfires that had gone out, so it was actually quite hard to see, and you're, 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 you can see just right in front of yourself enough to take a few steps, and, and uh, as she approached the bathroom, she walked right up upon a deer. And uh, it turned out he was not aggressive at that moment. We don't know uh, to this day who was more frightened, Monica or the deer. But we do know she was quite frightened. <laughs> and ordinarily, she uh, is thrilled to see deer. But to see him up close in, in the dark of night, walking in darkness, it's really quite another experience. Well, I thought of that. Uh, I thought of that story as Jesus talks about uh, walking in darkness and walking in the light. Again, because many of us really can't relate to that in such a personal way, but it is quite uh, daunting. It can be quite treacherous to walk around in darkness. And so Jesus, as he declares that he is the light of the world, gives two warning signs on the road of life, you might say. Uh, and I want to just kind of look at it. under those headings. It's exactly the way uh, Jesus has organized his discourse here. But he says, number one, that unless you follow Jesus, 
you will walk in darkness. And, and, and whatever other way you go, unless you follow Jesus in this world, you will walk in darkness. Number two, that unless you believe in Jesus, you will die in your sins. Two warning signs along the road of life that he offers this morning. And so let's look first at that first statement there. Unless you follow Jesus, you'll walk in darkness. Because he says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. You're familiar if you're a Christian, if you uh, have been at all a student of the Bible or again just around the church for any length of time, you've heard of these I am statements that Jesus makes. One of the ways that John's gospel is organized is around seven I am statements. And we heard that he said, I am the bread of life. There will be lots of others to follow. But he says here, I am the light of the world. The light, the light, not a light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Not the light of Jerusalem, not the light of Israel, not the light just for my own path that I'm walking. I am the light of the world. And you notice the Pharisees don't ask, what do you mean by that? They have an idea, at least to some extent, that he is uh, saying something significant. So they don't ask, what do you mean? They say, you're bearing witness about yourself, so your testimony's not true. They realize he's bearing witness about something significant, and they should understand that he's bearing witness about something significant because this would have had an immediate ring um, of significance to Jewish listeners in at least two ways. Number one, that they uh, recognized that God was their source of light. And so this has an implication immediately of his deity. God is the source of light. In fact, they were actually commemorating that on one level as this conversation took place. You may remember when Steve preached from chapter 7 that they were, Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Feast of Booths, and we uh, understand that verse 12 probably picks right up from verse 52 in chapter 7 as the Feast of Booths is still taking place there. But verse 20 says he was in the treasury of the temple. The treasury there is located in what's called Uh, the court of women. As you went into the temple, the outer court was called the court of Gentiles. That's where anybody could come and uh, meander or what have you gather. Uh, The next court was a court where Jewish men or women, everybody uh, who was Jewish could could go. And then uh, the sanctuary then beyond that was was more limited. They were in the court of women and there there were located four uh, large pillars And atop those pillars were were candelabras that would be lighted during the Feast of Booths, the lighting of the temple. And so they are very possibly uh, standing in a place that is lighted in a special way uh, right there at that moment. And it's commemorating the Feast of Booths, his, God's provision for them um, during their years of wilderness wandering, his provision of food by way of manna, but also his provision of just guidance. You remember he guided them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He was himself the light that lighted the way for them. So they not only associate him with that light, God that is, 
but, uh, but they're commemorating that fact at this very moment. So Jesus is making an immediate association in that way between himself um, and God as a source of light. And John, as the author of this gospel, makes that association too, and he connects the dots a little more explicitly in his first epistle. In 1 John 1, 5, he says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. Just as surely as he says God is love, he says God is light. And so for Jesus to say, I am the light, the light of the world, he is making a real explicit association of himself that way. And of course, the I am statements themselves carry that sort of implication as they have a hint of the divine name. God, when he appeared to Moses saying, I am that I am, that's his, his name. Jesus is uh, drawing from that as he refers to himself as I am. And as a matter of fact, it says down where we read in, um, in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It literally there just says, unless you believe that I am. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is saying to them that he's, he's, uh, he is God. And they, they don't understand that entirely, but they realize he is testifying to something profoundly significant. And so they say, well, you're testifying uh, yourself. Your, your testimony is not true. The second thing, though, about this is that this statement has kind of a messianic ring to it as well in the ears of those Jewish leaders. Because messianic prophecies identify the Messiah as one who will bring light to darkness among the nations. And I have a few uh, slides that will have uh, passages from Isaiah in particular, messianic passages that have this language in them. But Isaiah 42, uh, 6 and 7, the second part of verse 6 and verse 7 says, I will give you, speaking of the Messiah, I'll give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, the from, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That's his promise to his people. Isaiah 49, 6, God says, uh, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In other words, I won't just send you to redeem my people Jacob, my people, Israel, I will send you as a light to the nations. He says, and then in Isaiah 9, 2, this one that is so familiar to us during the Advent season, we'll hear it again as we, as we approach Advent, where he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light shone. It goes on down to say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is the beginning of that passage where he says, the people who walked in darkness at the appearance of the Messiah have seen great light. So Jesus is drawing from that too. This has a messianic ring to it. And probably because they understood, they, they challenged him in that way. You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Of course, you notice Jesus says, in effect, well, what if I do? What if I do bear witness to myself? So what? 
because uh, he, he says, actually, my father also bears witness. The implication, of course, what they're suggesting is, and rightly on a certain level, that on, a, on a le legal grounds, uh, the testimony of one person was not valid as evidence of something true. There had to be a second corroborating witness. So if somebody's testifying about themselves, there needs to be somebody else testifying on his behalf. It's one of the reasons all the Gospels tell us about John the Baptist and his witness of Jesus. It's one of the reasons we've read about the signs that Jesus performed, testify to who Jesus is. And he says here, even my father himself testifies as well. But that's what they're implying. But he says, my father also bears witness about me. My testimony is true and, and it'll, it'll witness to itself. And much of the rest of this passage deals with Jesus' witness with the Father and with his judgment with, and of his judgment with the Father. So he says, I am the light of the world. And then there's kind of this long, not really departure from that point, but this elaboration on his testimony and his judgment with the Father. And that judgment really, in part, is at the heart of this second warning sign that unless you believe in Jesus... You will die in your sins. There's only two ways to die. Uh, in your sins or in faith. Those are really the only two options. If you die in faith in Jesus, you're forgiven and credited with his righteousness. Accounted as righteous because he is righteous. All those who don't die in faith die in their sins. That's what Jesus says. By the way, I, I'm fully aware of the fact that in the 21st century, that's increasingly unpopular to talk about. But that's exactly what Jesus said, and he didn't really mince words about it. In verses 21 through 24, he makes that statement. And the Pharisees don't, uh, just don't know who he is, where he comes from, where he's going, any of that. They don't seem to understand when he speaks about his father, that he's speaking of the heavenly father. So uh, what was they asking before? Where's your father? Who's your father? They assume, it seems like, that he's talking about Joseph, who they don't necessarily know. But they don't know he's talking about that his father is the heavenly father. Yet uh, in verse 30, it says that while he was teaching, many believed in him. I love these kind of statements here because you see what, what most of this conversation focuses on is this stubborn, blind unbelief of religious leaders. They are not, you see, they're just not getting it. They don't see it. They don't understand who he is. They don't understand who the father is. They, even though they, they get some idea of the implications he's making when he says the light of the world. They just, they just don't get it. And yet, while he's talking, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, some believed in him. That is exactly the way the gospel does its work. Ready or not, here it comes. There may be some sitting here today and that this, at the end of this, by the end of the service, will be your story. Maybe you came in reluctantly. Maybe even if willingly came in in a very, very unbelieving state 
without any intention to believe. And yet, ready or not, here it comes when God is ready to deliver the gospel to your heart. You, like the many here, will believe. And I love that testimony that many believed in him. Repeatedly in the New Testament, this light and darkness paradigm um, is, is used in reference to sin and salvation. And we could actually, I, I could quote several to you. I've, I've deleted several out of here in the interest of time. But we think about passages, uh, verses like 1 Peter 2.9, where it says that Jesus called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When you became a Christian, what Jesus did was called you, a, a calling made effective by his spirit in your heart, but he called you out of darkness and into light. Colossians says out of darkness and the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. Out of darkness and into light. And the Bible uses that sort of language about um, the work that he does in, in, uh, in bringing light to darkness. And unless you believe in Jesus, you'll die in your sins, he says. And unless you follow him, you'll walk in darkness. Well, I, I wanted to sort of apply this in a particular way uh, this morning. Because, you know, the, the basic function of light is to reveal what's otherwise hidden by darkness, right? What's otherwise concealed by darkness. That's what light does, at least for us. It, it, and it, in fact, it does that whether you even want it to or not. Sometimes you may turn the lights on and remember your room is so messy, you turn them back off. Uh, you don't want that revealed at the moment, but it's one of the functions, the primary basic functions of light is that it, it reveals what's otherwise hidden in darkness. Lies hide in the darkness. It has been the scheme of the enemy from the very beginning, from the very fall of man. In fact, before the fall of man, to introduce lies into the lives of human, humans um, in order to deceive and in order to lead them into sin. Lies hide in the darkness and light reveals What's in the darkness? Sin hides in the darkness in some actually very real and concrete ways. You have lots of people who are um, held captive by besetting sins or even addictions who keep them secret for obvious reasons because there's lots of guilt and shame associated with them. And so the person who has that substance addiction, pain pills, alcohol, whatever it is, will put a, a happy face on when they go outside and let nobody know about that. The person who has the pornography addiction, who, who spends hours in front of a screen, knowing they ought to be spending their hours other places and can't seem to pull themselves away from it, and it's done in secret Sin hides in the darkness. Light reveals what's in the darkness. And here's the good news, that Jesus reveals that, our sin and lies, 
because of his great love for us that we sang about earlier. Uh, to draw us to repentance, to offer us that. But light reveals the truth of what's really there. It enables us to see clearly and without it, without the light of Christ in this world, we will walk in darkness. That is what we're guaranteed of. Well, the, the pursuit of truth and knowledge apart from him will surely lead to darkness. In fact, in Colossians uh, 2, it says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. That is a staggering statement. You think about all the libraries over the course of history, all the books on shelves even right now, and, and, and the claim that the Bible makes about Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And so the pursuit of truth apart from him will surely lead to darkness. And while the people Jesus were talking to were highly religious people, they were still walking in darkness, destined to die in their sins. Because religious self-reliance is just as deadly as any other kind of self-reliance. Do you understand that? It's just as qualified to, to keep you chained in the just bondage until you die in your sins as any other kind of self-reliance. But contemporary American culture encourages a different sort of self-reliance. And I wanted to speak uh, to some of this for just a moment because, again, here's the, here's the connection. Unless you follow Jesus, you will walk in darkness. If you pursue uh, pleasure, meaning, purpose, satisfaction, happiness, whatever it is, if you pursue it apart from Christ, that road will lead to darkness. It is guaranteed out of the mouth of Jesus. Contemporary American culture, the, the philosophy of the current age, says that to find truth, meaning, and purpose, you must look within yourself. In fact, it's quite common to hear people talk about finding your truth, living your truth, speaking your truth. Matter of fact, I could just about uh, wager that based on your age, relatively speaking, uh, if you're probably under 30, nothing sounds controversial about that at all or odd or unusual. Uh, for others, older it may. But that's become such the philosophy of the age. Find your truth, live your truth, speak your truth. The goal is to discover your authentic self and what makes you happy and then live accordingly. This is the spirit of the age. If you want to understand something about why the world has gone so crazy, and I'm really not using that word uh, as an insult here, like why that seems to be such a detachment from everything that seemed normal and rational to us for all of our lives, um, a lot of it has to do with this shift in looking for answers inside yourself and exalting self, like being encouraged along those lines. So here are some examples 
of, of a few quotes from online articles and blogs that illustrate this point. This is just kind of a very cursory search um, here. These are not necessarily authorities on the subject, but uh, uh, kind of put themselves out there as sort of um, life coaches, spiritual guides, and that kind of thing. These would be, this would be the message that people are offered uh, and encouraged with many times. So here's uh, from one of those sources. It says, look within, think your own thoughts, create your own ideas, develop your own beliefs, create your own rules, listen to your inner voice and follow your intuition, trust the messages of your heart, rely on your own inner guidance, and by doing so, you will be free. It goes on to say, look, learn to look within yourself for that which you seek out there, for you will never find your joy peace and fulfillment out there, you will only find it by learning to look within. Um, another site says, accept who you are at this moment. This is like four keys to walking in your truth or something like that. Accept who you are at this moment. You are perfect right here, right now. Remember it and believe it. Now that you know your truth, live it loudly and proudly. Let no one deny you or your truth. Be honest and full in your truth. Do not hide behind judgment, self or society inflicted or anything else. Your personal truth is just that, truth. And haven't we been told always to tell the truth? So do it loudly and proudly. Your truth is truth, so tell the truth. Live it loudly and proudly. That's, that's the message. Now, again, here's the thing. I don't, I don't share that in order for, to, to mock it at all. My, my point is to, is to sort of illustrate a couple of things. Again, number one, depending on your uh, generation that you're a part of, that, that either sounds way foreign to you or it sounds quite mainstream. Because that's the, that's the philosophy of the current age. But here's the thing. That approach to life is so at odds with the teaching of Jesus in more ways than I can even go into this morning. Um, but not including or, or including the fact that you are not perfect. I do want to be sure that you know that. I mean, she said, except who you are at this moment, you are perfect. You are not. I just want to be sure that uh, I didn't mislead you with that information before you left here today. You are not perfect. As Jesus said, unless you believe in him, you will die in your sins. And of course, we could talk about uh, what truth even is and how your truth has any relationship to the truth. That would be another whole topic. But more directly to this point, the reason I bring that up and, and, and as application to this message is that looking inside yourself is like descending into a dark cavern. It seems like the place where you, based on the encouragement of others, where you might find real answers and enlightenment and happiness and so forth. But it, Jesus said, Unless you follow him, you will walk in darkness. If you, if you descend on a journey inside of yourself, 
it will be like descending into a cavern. I don't know if any of you have ever been uh, in a cavern, like Luray Caverns up in Virginia or Linville Caverns in the North Carolina mountains. We went to Linville Caverns one time, and they walk you in there. It's lighted along the way, and they take you a good little ways into the cavern, and then just to illustrate how dark it is in there, they turn the lights off. And you hope to goodness they come back on because you can't see a thing. You can't see your hand right in front of your face. It is pitch black. And, and if you journey into yourself, it will lead to darkness. It is, it is a dark, cavernous place. What's interesting is there's even been some research on that. Uh, I read some reference to a French sociologist who has written a book about uh, the weary self or weariness of the self or something along those lines. But the subtitle was The History of Depression. And he was, he was talking about how the autonomous self gets weary of its own sovereignty. And, and literally, it leads to depression. He was doing this kind of on an academic level, that one of the roads that leads to uh, lots of depression is the road, the walk of the autonomous self, the, the one that has discovered his own, made his own rules, uh, written his own sense of purpose, defined his own identity regardless of uh, the outside world. And you can imagine the reason for that is if everybody, if everybody lives that way, you can't have real connection and community because everybody wants one another to conform to their new reality. And it ends up not working. It leads to darkness and despondency. And, and the Bible tells us, again, we ought to expect that. The deeper you go, the darker it gets. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is the crazy irony. I know it doesn't seem like this ought to be true. But if you search yourself by yourself, your heart will deceive you in what you think you see and what you find. Isn't that ironic? As you're searching your, your inward self, it's your inward self that actually deceives you. So that you might see some things rightly, but others you will see obscured. You will be deceived by your own heart. And it's why, in fact, Monica read from uh, Psalm 139 today, the end of that psalm, those last two verses say, the psalmist says to God, God, you search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. You see if there's any wicked way within me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Well, that's an entirely different approach, isn't it? Because it begins with the assumption that truth is out there somewhere. Namely, in him, in the person of Jesus, that he is the light that illuminates that truth. And it is there that I can discover what's really true about myself and about my place in the world. And then be led in the way everlasting. 
Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the world. And any journey to truth and discovery of any sort apart from him leads to darkness. But the good news is that if we walk with him, we walk in the light. We have fellowship with one another, First John says. And the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sins. We have that great assurance that in him we have life and liberty. We who, as Isaiah said, were uh, blinded and uh, imprisoned can be set free by the Messiah who is the light of the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we can only say thank you for the indescribable gift that Jesus is to the world, knowing that this is true. That the world by itself sits in darkness. And it did in ages past. Even your people, the people of Israel, sat in darkness. And you promised by your grace to send the one who would be the light of the world. So we thank you for that indescribably good gift. Lord, I pray that you would move us from our own complacency, from our own self-reliance today, and move us to an obedient response to you. Lord, there may be some today who have never believed in Jesus And today, you have just awakened them to an understanding of who he is and that uh, they need to just believe in him with a simple faith. Lord, would would you lead them to close that deal, as it were, with Jesus? And Lord, there may be many others who profess faith in you and are dabbling with lots of other loves and pursuits in the world who who have wandered off onto other paths into darkness. Because, Lord, what John tells us is true is that this is the judgment that lights come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light. We know that there is something about our sinful flesh that has a love for darkness. And Lord, where there are those flirting with it, toying with it, for those who have just drifted away, Lord, would you call us back to a wholehearted, steadfast, obedience, following Jesus and walking in the light. 
You said that if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. So Lord, would you just have your way, lead us by your spirit to repentance, obedience, commitment, worship, and whatever would be called of us. We thank you, Lord, for your great love toward us and be glorified in our response to you in Jesus' name. Amen.